Our scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again the yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. The Word of the Lord. Mommy, Daddy, something really, really, something really, really, something really, really, really bad. I got to tell you something really, 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 really bad. Well, it, it's not that bad. It's kind of bad, uh, but it's it's not good. It's bad. Um, um, yes, Ruby. Um, well, it's, it's, it's not good. It's not really bad, but it's, it's bad, but it's, it's, it's Marcella. Ruby, what is it? Marcella spilled her water. It's not that bad. Colleen and I have conversations like that many times a week. And it makes me wonder, have you ever talked to somebody who sounded as though they were speaking out two sides of their mouth? Maybe they used some words here and then contradicted themselves with other words a few minutes later. Oh, it's not an issue with children alone. We tend to contradict ourselves. That's what I think about when I first read this passage from St. Paul as he's written this letter to the church at Galatia. It sounds like he's speaking out two sides of his mouth. He, he reminds the Christians in this church, don't forget Jesus Christ has set you free. Because you're free, no longer do you need to be a slave. Take off the yoke of slavery. Remember what a yoke is? It's that big wooden implement that goes over two animals so that they can farm together. It's heavy, and where one goes, goes another. He says, you don't need to put on a yoke of slavery because you have been set free. Only to then a few lines later say, don't forget you're really just a slave. Huh? 
Well, I think when we look at this passage today, the first thing we need to note is that it is speaking about a Christian understanding of freedom. And the first thing we need to know is that the way that Christianity has conceived of freedom, it's not exactly equivalent to the way the Western world or way Americans have understood freedom. I guess the first thing to say is this, Christian freedom is not about a lack of constraint. Now, this can be difficult for us Americans to hear. We live in a world with an economic philosophy. We call it the free market, where it's defined by people like Milton Friedman as a lack of having too many constraints. Now, at base, and when out of balance, this lack of constraint creates a sort of desire for libertine, I want what I want, you can't tell me otherwise, ideology. I was driving down the street one day in a small town. I saw a Victorian mansion that had once been beautiful, but now it was in disrepair. It was clearly, I think I saw the building shake. I kid you not, it was like that broken down. There was a crowd in front of the house, and there was an ambulance and some police cars, and I wondered what was going on, so I, I pulled off the side of the road, and like many of you, i curious, so I got out of the car and went over to the crowd, and I said, what's going on? And the person there, a bystander, told me that the house had been condemned by the city, but the old-timer who was living in it, who was kind of known in the neighborhood as a miser, he would not come out. The house was literally falling down around him, and if he stayed there much longer, he was going to be hurt if not killed. All of a sudden, the commotion shifted from the crowd to the front door as some paramedics and police officers were ushering this man out against his will while he screams, stop it, it's my choice, this is my right, this is my house, you cannot do this to me. Now, I said this was at base levels what the lack of constraint theory does. At higher levels, at levels a little bit more sophisticated than this, it does something different. It makes us ask questions about where one freedom begins and where another's ends. I was um, blessed to go with my beautiful bride up to Sonoma County back in November for her cousin's wedding. And we found this enchanting little town called Healdsburg. I'm not sure if you've ever been there, but it is quite enchanting. It's got a gorgeous little square cut from another time, and everybody around the square was protesting something. On each corner, it was groups of people with signs, and they were protesting something about guns. I know that because I could see the word gun. I don't know anything else about their protest. All I really thought about was lunch. And then I saw someone drive their car right up to a stoplight by a group of protesters. It was red, and I noticed their window went down, and then as soon as the light turned green, that person stuck his head out the window and said, but what about my right to protect myself? And then, <coughs> that little screech made me cough. Isn't that silly? He squealed out of there just like that, and I thought, wow. It is sure what they say. Discourse in America is alive and well. Now, it is not my intention this morning to sort out all these American goings-on. Rather, my aim is to explore what freedom means biblically. Hint, it's not about a lack of constraint. St. Paul, in this passage, he says it plainly, but so plainly that it's confusing. 
he says that Christ has indeed made you free. And we can breathe a sigh of relief if we're Christians. So we're not supposed to be slaves anymore. But then he goes on to say, but yeah, you are slaves. And again, I say, huh? Is this like one of them paradoxes? Like when I was single and I wanted to be in a relationship so badly, but I got this advice from somebody that said, here's the problem. You're not in a relationship because you want one too badly. The thing you have to do is not want to be in a relationship, and then you'll find yourself in one. Oh, is, I'm the only one who have ever given that advice? Is it like that? Well, it's sort of. You see, the truth is we human creatures are always constrained. We are always bound to something. This is our nature. The real question we have to ask ourselves is, what is freedom from a Christian point of view? And really, it's this. It's about who or what you are constrained to, who or what you are bound to. For Christianity, freedom is a life of bondage to God. It is when the soul is put down a path on the way to the beautiful, the good, and the true. It is when those things lay claim on you that you find you're truly free, that you find what you're made for. St. Paul is simply saying, don't be bound to anything less because it will destroy you. The first thing that we find ourselves bound to as Christians, other than God, is each other. And when we are bound together in a way that Paul describes it, and Saint, our Christ, Christ the Lord says it as well, is by lo loving our neighbor as ourselves, well, then we can then be bound to each other in ways that we will not, to use St. Paul's own turn of phrase, devour each other. But you know, and I know the truth, there are ways that we can use our freedom to use words that do devour each other. I've said in many sermons a story that I want to rehearse again. When I was a freshman in college at my high school football game, I went back, and there was a gang fight that broke out. And the kids in the gang were actually put into some alternative school, which this created a great deal of racial uproar in our community. The Rainbow Push Coalition came to the fore trying to um, make certain claims. The, the school board was making their claims. And next thing you know, uh, there was a whole lot of dignitaries in our city arguing over issues of race. And on one Sunday, different groups, different factions decided to hold individual marches. The Rainbow Push Coalition, led by Jesse Jackson, led a march. The school board led their own one for peace. And then a man by the name of Matt Hale, who was a one-time leader of the white supremacist organization, who's now in jail for being arrested. He put a hit on a federal judge that was foiled, thank God. He was there too. And he was leading a group of white supremacists in the streets. This was on Sunday. We drove to church, and we drove home from church during these three coinciding rallies. I remember driving by on the way home, the white supremacist rally, and I remember being happy to see more people shouting and protesting than people walking. The people walking were using epithets like you and I 
use the word um and and, and I could see the pain, and I could see the hurt of words freely tossed about. Such is the kind of freedom, friends, when we are bound to what St. Paul calls the flesh. Rather, St. Paul would invite us to the life of the Spirit. Now, I'd like to be clear, by designating the fleshly path as the negative one and the spirit path the good one, Paul is not being anti-body, Paul is not being anti-creation, and he's not even being dualistic, like spirit good, body bad. He's simply being metaphorical about different roads you can take in life And the way of the flesh is a metaphor for a life following unmitigated passion and appetite and self-interested tendencies. He lists a few here, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, Anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and my favorite part, and things like these. As Paul knows, anything that does harm to ourselves and to others is wrong. Yet, when I read that list, I read of words that, that populate our minds they're often words that are associated with freedom themselves. I can, I can do what I want to do. Don't you tell me what I can and cannot do. It's my life I can choose for myself. But really, that's just another form of slavery, another form of bondage. And here's the kicker, friend. It makes you less than human. Now, I know... I have an illustrative crutch for this in the world of literature, but I have never found a character in literature more illustrative of how these kinds of things, this, this unmitigated passion can distort your humanity than J.R.R. Tolkien's Creature Smeagol, a hobbit character of the river people, friends and family and an appetite. But he finds that one ring of power, that sole purpose is power, and he becomes obsessed. And this ring becomes known as his precious. And like a nasty cancer, it eats him from the inside out, and for hundreds of years he lives no longer in relationship, no longer as himself, and he becomes eroded and run down and transformed into not Smeagol, the river person, but Gollum, the monster, who wants only this thing, this thing that is slowly killing him. Remember, we're all bound to something. We are all constrained. That is why for Christianity, true freedom is when you are bound to God and to other people properly when you are directed toward God's desire for life, because that's the only kind of life we can flourish in. And it looks like this. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if I could add to Paul, I would say, and things like these. 
Now today is a day when we're thinking forward to this week. Most of us will take some time off and celebrate our country. So I want to say to you today, I am proud to be an American. I stand before you thankful that I was born in this country. I believe it has afforded me a lot of privileges. I think in a lot of ways I'm lucky. It's not to say anything bad about anyone else's country. I just simply see my blessing. But I'm not confident that we're going to get to the bottom of our major issues in this society by, by thinking of our freedom as simply a lack of constraint. That will only get us so far. Have you ever noticed how our freedoms are often defined by our fears as a society? Now, you know me, I try not to be partisan here, but I do try to speak to our situation when the gospel asks me to. So in a nonpartisan way, I will speak to the heart of our country as a whole and say this. Our country says that we have the right to keep and bear arms. We have the right to own guns. Why? Why are we worried about it? Because there's a fear that somebody somewhere might constrain us. Our government says that you have the right to abort a pregnancy. You have the right because there's a concern that people want to have total control over their bodies. Either case, friends, are examples of removing one or another constraint that can overcome our lives. Friends, the way we think about freedom in our world and what is good, as I said, well, these things only get us so far. Usually, it ends in an endless debate about rights. Who's right and when do they get it? And then once that's established, more rights are argued for later. Friends, when we get there, we find ourselves asserting our flesh. We find ourselves dividing We find ourselves having factions and enmities and other words associated with Paul's list of vices. And then we self-protect and demonize others. But when our freedom is founded in our slavery to God, our lives are directed toward what God wants, only then can we think deeper than rights. Only then does our moral imagination thicken to what is actually below, more foundational than our rights. Only then can we live into things like kindness, gentleness, hospitality. As I said, I'm proud to be an American, and I'm thankful. But I'm challenged to something more, and so are you. I'm challenged to be a slave to Christ and the will of Christ, for that is where I find true freedom. As we reflect this week and are thankful for maybe what we've inherited from our heritage, we may say we've got a lot of good things going for us because we were born where we were born and when we were born. I think if you're a Christian, you have to say, how can I take all of that? How can I use it? as I am indentured to another master named Christ, how can I take what I've been given to glorify Jesus? And in that slavery, you will be set free.